Welcome to another inspirational podcast at Real Life Church. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com. some fun and let's sing it to him. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. Let's get those hands together real life. Come on. I was breathing but not alive. Let's sing this out. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my turn till I met you. You called my name and I ran.
Come on, Real Life Church. Let him hear it this morning. Maybe you want to shout. Maybe you just want to clap. Maybe you want to take a moment of prayer and reflection. But whatever you do, let him know how much we love him today. What a day, what a day. Amen.
<laughs> there we go. Man, I'd love to hear you guys worship. It's just a beautiful thing just to hear you guys praise the beautiful name of God, right? Can we get it for God? Let's hear it, you know. Today, we're gonna slow down. We're walking into the week that precedes Easter. And it's just a time that we can remember why we call his name beautiful. It's what he did for us. It's what he gave up. And so we're gonna do something and we're gonna have a time of remembrance and we're gonna do that through something called communion. So you guys can take a moment and have a seat as we, uh, as we prepare our hearts. So about 2000 years ago, Jesus was walking into his passion week. You guys notice the passion of the Christ. It is a week full of suffering and pain, but he did it with a purpose and he did it with a boldness and he did it with faith and willingness. And he went through that pain and suffering to bring the perfect final sacrifice that allows us to call, allows us to be called forgiven. And he did that because he loves us and he wants to establish a relationship and bring us back into his kingdom. And so I wanna start off by reading a few chapters or not a few chapters, a few verses from a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied about what the Messiah would do. And Jesus fulfilled these words. So read with me in Isaiah chapter 53, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. And I wanna pause there for just a second. When, I, when you hear the word pierced, I want you guys to think of the nails that went in Jesus' hands and feet and the spear that went in his side. This came with a cost and he was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities, think of this, it's our sin. It's everything that we've done wrong. It's everything that we've turned to the left when we should have gone right. The things that God has called us to do and we turned our back on it and we didn't pursue those things. He says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. By the things that Jesus went through, we have our salvation. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus bore our transgressions. The things that we did, our personal hells, God placed on Jesus in this moment, in this crucifixion. And he continues in, uh, in 53, 12, he says this, he says, he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. The perfect sinless lamb of God was hung between two guys that were thieves. He was there as a common criminal, and that's what he was numbered with. For he bore the sin, the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And who the transgressors are? We'd like to put our fingers at everybody else that has done something wrong, but really the transgressors are you and me. Each one of us has our part of why Jesus had to do what he did. And again, he did it willingly. So communion really, it's a time of remembrance. And Jesus instituted it and gave this to us. It's an ordinance of the church. It's not a sacrament. It doesn't save, it doesn't give us extra grace, but it's a symbol of what Jesus did in his body, giving up a broken body in his blood. So they're symbols. And so would you guys stand with me? We're gonna read a couple more scriptures in a minute and I'm gonna invite the communion team to come forward, but close your eyes for a minute. And this is a moment between you and God. Settle your hearts. Know that this is something that was done for you because God cares about you and God loves you. If you guys continue reading with me, Paul in Corinthians chapter 11, 23, 24, this is, 
in the, this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. It's his last moments. He's in the upper room. It's the last supper. He's with his disciples. It says this, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in this midst of the last supper, the last time that he was gonna spend time together with the people, the guys that had followed him and been with him for the last three years, this is the last things that he's telling them. And in a few short hours, Jesus would ultimately go through something that none of us can even imagine. His body was broken, his beard was ripped out. A crown of thorns was shoved onto his head. He was beaten with a whip that wasn't just a whip, it was a whip filled with glass, with rock. Ultimately, he was nailed and pierced to that cross. He was tortured in that week. All because of our transgressions, but more importantly, because he loved us. And it continues in, in, uh, in verse 25, it says this, and in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the, this is the last part of it. Jesus shed blood was the final payment. It was the final sacrifice. It was the culmination of the whole sacrificial system that the Jews had in the Old Testament because they would come to Jerusalem to sacrifice and their sins were covered temporarily by the sacrifice of whatever animal they were sacrificing. But Jesus' shed blood was the final perfect sacrifice that took away the brokenness, the hurt, the iniquities, the transgressions that we had in our lives. And now we become forgiven. We're called redeemed. We're called sons and daughters because of Jesus' blood. One of the last things that Jesus says is in Matthew 26, 28. He said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. This is where our forgiveness comes from. The new covenant, we're no longer those transgressors. We are no longer the lost sheep. We can be called the family of God because of what he did for us. And so this moment, this time of communion, or for those of us that have followed Jesus, have put him first, called him Lord. And so this time of remembrance, it's a time of humility, it's a time of thankfulness. So in a short moment, I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna have you guys, after I pray, come down your center aisles. What you'll do is you'll take a bread and you'll dip it either in the wine or the grape juice. And you'll eat this in remembrance of what Jesus did for you. So would you guys take this moment and pray with me? Father, we come before you. And God, we read the words and we read your scriptures and we understand what Jesus went through. But it's still hard for our hearts and our minds to comprehend just the, the love that put him there. The perfect sinless lamb of God who did no wrong. The creator of the universe, the one that, that set the foundations of the universe came to this lowly place and was born and lived a perfect life just to redeem us, make us whole. He came to fix the things that were lost when Adam sinned, and now they're restored in the work of Jesus and his, and his sacrifice. God, thank you for that. Help us as we take this time of communion and we take this act and we do it in reverence and thankfulness and humility. And God, thank you for pursuing us. God, I pray that you put a vision in our hearts to never forget what you've done for us and to share that with those that are around us and bring the hope that you have to the world that you've called us to. God, we lift up all these things. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. As the song prays, as God leads you, 
Come forward. Make me your vessel, make me an honor. 
some praise this morning. And what a powerful reminder communion is on this Palm Sunday. Because that wine or that grape juice that we just had with the bread, that blood that was spilt on the cross, that happened on Friday, right? But we know the story. We know what happened three days later. Resurrection Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave and conquered death. And that's what it's all about. That's what we're celebrating next week on Easter Sunday. And it is so good to see you all here this Sunday as we begin Passion Week. Welcome to Real Life Church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Brandon. I serve on the Connection team here. And I'm just so glad that you are joining us here this morning. We do have a very special group joining us as well. They're not here in person, but they're joining us digitally. Real Life Church Online. Can we make them feel welcome? Uh, turn back to the camera and then just make it loud in here this morning. As you guys are kind of winding down, uh, turn to your left or your right, say hi to your neighbor, and then go ahead and buy your seat. are finding your seats. I'm going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room, or should I say all the elephants on your seats, this new kind of paper card. I know it seems like we're going back to uh, to the paper days, 
This is our new connection card, and it is for everyone in the house today. So whether you're new, whether you've been coming to Real Life for a long time, we want you guys to fill these out, and then we will be collecting them in the buckets as they pass later on. But let me kind of tell you what they're for. So if you are new here this morning, first off, welcome. Glad that you're here. We would ask that you go ahead and check either the first time here or second time here box. Um, what that's going to do is going to allow us to get a little bit more information from you and just get, help you feel a little more connected here at Real Life Church. But this is for everyone. This isn't all skates. So if you have been coming to Real Life Church for a long time, we ask that you check that regularly attending box. And then if you have any next steps um, that you are kind of hoping to get more involved at Real Life Church, we'd ask you to go ahead and fill that out on the card as well. So for those that are new uh, and also for those that are here for a long time, you guys know that we are a church on mission. And that mission is to see people far from God discover their real life and purpose in Jesus. And that is the truth. We all have a purpose. Our souls were created for a reason, but it is oftentimes that we don't really know what that purpose might be. And so we hope that through, you know, this series that we've started this year, um, you know, whether it's the, the breakout year 2023 or now this bring series, we're just trying to find people and help ourselves realize what that real life and purpose is in Jesus. So we are concluding our bring series today. Uh, Pastor Sean's going to be bringing us a message of encouragement and, and conviction to really, you know, especially as we look towards Easter Sunday, thinking about those people in our circles, in our communities that need Jesus. Because the truth is, the easiest thing that we can do is just get them in the room. God will do the work. If we plant the seeds, God will do the watering, and he's going to do that next Sunday for so many people. So uh, Pastor John's going to come to the stage, give us our last year message on the Bring series, and we'll give it up for him. You guys have a good day in the house so far? And celebrating Jesus. And uh, man, I hope you got a great week just pulling people to Jesus with your voice, like John the Baptist, uh, just going out and just uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, this week I had a fun opportunity. Um, my neighbors don't know Jesus. Um, and uh, God put me there on purpose. And so I get to go out and hang out with my neighbors. And um, it was, I didn't really have time to do it, but it worked out. And uh, I'm on the driveway and dude, we were talking about Jesus for like an hour and a half. We went from every religion in the world and just kept playing the seeds of the gospel. And uh, it's, it's fun being in those conversations, isn't it? You guys been in those conversations this week a little bit? It's just fun you know, just to see what God's going to do. And uh, we've been praying for our neighbors for a long time, and just God's just given open doors. So just be praying for them. Um, but I'm just asking a, a simple question today. It's going to sound like trill pursuit, but it's going to get there. It's going to come all the way around. Uh, but does anybody know the first words ever spoken or recorded on a feature film? You know the first words recorded on a feature film? Anybody? This is before our day. This is before everybody's day. This is about 100 years ago that it was put on a film. And uh, the, the sentence is so important because it changed everything in the entertainment industry. Uh, and you, I don't know, anybody might know, nobody might know who I'm talking about today, but 100 years ago, it was 1927, a uh, little man named Al Jolson uh, in a movie called The Jazz Singer. And he, he made this, I see some of the, 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 the fine wine people in the house, come on somebody, recognizing <laughs> who we're talking about today. And um, he's looking around at me. Uh, but throughout he said this, it's so pertinent for today, so relevant. He, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. You just heard that line, right? And he repeats this, and he says, wait, wait a minute, you haven't heard nothing yet. And the reality is, 100 years later, it could be more true. As you go to AMC Theater with the Dolby Surround sign, the, the seat vibrates, you know, the sound of people getting killed by dinosaurs, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, just like, yes, I mean, you haven't heard anything. And everything changed with that. That, that was the end of an era of silent movies. Uh, people used to act a little bit, and then that thing came on the screen with the words, and you read it. 
wow, exciting. And they go back and act, you know, uh, whatever, right? Harold Lloyd, uh, Buster Keaton, all the, all the classics. Um, Before Your Day, who even knows what I'm talking about right now? One person, yes. You just age yourself, all of you right now. <laughs> uh, but thank God um, that you actually record on feature film, everything changed. And really in one sentence, everything changed. That was the end of that complete era. And the reality is this, when you follow Jesus, uh, just one sentence from Jesus will change everything for someone's life. I don't know if you remember what Jesus spoke to you when you found Jesus, that you're forgiven, that your shame is rolled away, that you're made new. And when we bring somebody to Jesus, everything is eternally different, forever different when they meet him. We have the honor and privilege as ambassadors for Christ that we get to carry a message that we're fishers of men. We get to bring people into the presence of Jesus. And so today is really all about stopping at nothing as we talk about the passion we should have to bring people to Christ. And there's an amazing story that walks in the Bible. But to introduce today, we have a video. This is a man that's really uh, been hurt by church, like so many of us, have walked away from God, walked away from the things of, of Christ and the church. And God used a little miracle uh, through his family uh, for, him to, for God to get his attention. And he came back to God, and the same voice was used to bring this man back to church. And so I want you to check this video out. Hi, I'm Dennis Reimer, and this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. I grew up, I was sprinkled as a child as far as my baptism, and I was confirmed in a faith. At the time, I was only 14 years old, and I really didn't know what I was doing. And as I got older, I turned 18, and my the church that I was confirmed in wanted to know how much money I wanted to do, and I told them, you know, I didn't know, I just got out of high school. So it came down to where I kind of embarrassed my parents by saying, well, I didn't want to be part of the country club, and needless to say, they didn't, no longer wanted me in their church because they, they wanted me to pay to pray. So I kind of gave up on that one, and then I fell in love for the first time, and that was kind of cool because I asked God to give me someone because I wasn't having much luck in my whole life, and he gave me a girl, and I broke up with her, or she broke up with me, actually, and I kind of went berserk, and I cast out God and everybody else, and um, I just went haywire till I met my wife. She kind of calmed me down. When she finally started going back to her church, uh, I kind of fell in with that for a while, and I thought I had found God, and I was doing real well, got baptized and everything, and then things changed. It became another situation where there's another church that wanted, all they wanted was my money, and then I said something to the effect that it was like another church that was doing it, something on television, and the pastor came over and basically said if I didn't sit in his church, I wasn't going to go to God's kingdom. And Well, I didn't think that was right either, so uh, I asked him if Father Flanagan and Mother Teresa weren't going to be in God's kingdom after all the good they did, and they're Catholics. They weren't sitting in his church, which irritated him. So he ended up giving me a two-day notice afterwards saying he didn't want me no longer in his church. Well, I got kind of fed up with churches about this time, and I just fell away from God altogether. I felt that religion was just, you know, a joke. My wife and I didn't go to church for the longest time, and then a granddaughter came, Haley, and she uh, had leukemia. And she almost died twice. And so I 
went into the chapel at Children's Mercy and I made a deal with God. I said, God, you know, I know I've been away from you a long time and I'm sort of like the prodigal son, but I'm asking you to make me a deal, take my life instead of hers. And for some reason, he, he answered my prayer and she's now 20 years old and she's doing real good. I've never, I've never loved a child so much. And you know, when she was diagnosed, that took the wind out of my sails. And I promised that I was gonna take and try to be more God's servant. I was doing real good for about five years. And then I had my first heart attack. And I think God was trying to wake me up and say, hey, you know, I, uh, I fulfilled my deal. Now it's your turn to fulfill yours. Well, after uh, that, I prayed and, you know, he got me through that one. And about two more, heart I'm a slow learner. Uh, I had two more heart attacks and I had heart failure. I've had, uh, every time I feel like I'm crossing the line and going on the other side where Satan knows just what buttons to push, something happens. I've had two detached retinas where one I could have taken and gone blind had he not saved it for 13 hours, I would have been blind. I think the last major thing was about four years ago, I broke my hip. After that and the pain I had been in, I said to myself, you know, it's time to start working and living towards godly life. So COVID hit and then there was no church. So I went to, uh, they had the church in my son's garage. So my, my granddaughter Haley, she asked my wife to come and naturally I was gonna go too. I started listening and, and starting to relive all the things that what I had learned before and I was relearning a lot of the things. Real life started to make sense to me. I got to meet a few people, it wasn't a big gathering and once church started coming back, I decided to come over and go to the real life church service. It was the best thing I'd ever done. I've, people greeted me and uh, they were real people. They didn't cast judgment on me because I was poor or if I was rich or whatever. They just cared about what I, I did. And it's not pay to pray. Yes, you give freely, but that's everything you do is up to you. You know, my doctors tell me I should have been dead five years ago, but because the grace of God, I'm still here and I'm gonna do something about it. So now what I'm trying to do is let other people know that God is real and God can perform miracles and do things. And I guess my mission now is to uh, help other people. God used my son, daughter-in-law, and the grandkids to get me back on the right track. Haley was the main source and, and actually Lexi because they did it inadvertently brought me back because I looked at them as they were my, they were hope for the future. Our lives are so easily, you know, can snap at any time and we could be gone. Just them helping me see that it's not too late. And that's how, you know, I was brought back into church. So now I'm asking all of you to step out on faith and step out on your own power and you guys bring some people in is it's going to be a blessing to you as well as the people you bring in. Come on, give it up for Dennis.
Dennis has a hard time watching this video, but man, it's good, isn't it? I mean, just being a real and sharing what God has done in his life. And it's amazing. Uh, I love how he said he's a, he's a slow learner. Uh, he told me earlier he takes 90 minutes to watch 60 minutes, you know. Um, so I love you, Dennis. And uh, it's amazing that um, really that his story of faith most likely played a story in his granddaughter being healed. His story of going to God and asking God to change her life probably played as part of the story of what God did. And ultimately, God didn't just change her physically. God changed Dennis's heart, changed him on the inside, amen? And that's a story of what happens when we bring people to Jesus, when God does things. And so I want to say thank you uh, really to Ryan, Michelle, uh, Lexi, Haley, the family, and ultimately to Jesus uh, for what he's done. So come on, let's give it up for all of them. Thank part of the story of bringing. Yeah, Ryan had opened up his garage, had a TV that came down from the ceiling, uh, looked like he had a baptism in there with a, earlier I saw like a pool or something, like a, some kind of Coca-Cola bin or something. But um, man, it's cool that we all play a little piece of the story and God continues to use it. So I want to say thank you, Dennis, for sharing your story. And I think it's touching people more than we even know. And so today I want to talk about what it means to bring somebody in the presence of Jesus. Like what happens inside their life, like when we get somebody into his presence, and really just like we talk about entertainment industry, everything can change in just one sentence for these people. And so we're going to pick up uh, really what left off last week uh, in the story. Last week we are in John, but we're going to jump over to the book of Mark and be in chapter 1. And verse 14, it says this. It says, after John was put in prison, uh, this is still talking about John the Baptist. This isn't John the beloved disciple, but when John the Baptist was put in prison, uh, he was calling out, rebuking one of the leaders, um, Herod and Antipas. And uh, he was having incest with his cousin Herodias and eventually led to him being beheaded. And so, like I said earlier last week, John really was just a voice. Just point people to Jesus and then went totally into obscurity. But when John was put into prison, Jesus went to Galilee. He went to this, these neighborhoods. He went into this northern part of Israel that was populated full of people and began to proclaim the good news. Now, this is how his ministry started. He said this, the time has come. When we talk about the word time, there's not talking about the exact, like at 745. He's talking about the moment. The word there for Greek is kairos. And he's saying that this moment of time has come. What he's saying is God is near. There's going to be moments in your life that God's going to begin to work and to move in. He says the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, this is kind of like uh, really what it is to follow Jesus on a day-to-day basis, isn't it? Uh, you turn from yourself, repent, and you turn back to God. And, uh, and the reality is this, is we're all called to, to recognize these moments day-to-day, moment-by-moment, that God wants to speak to us, that, that God's going to use all these things to draw us to him. Think about Dennis' story. All of a sudden, you have leukemia and his granddaughter. And he recognizes this, this is a moment. Now, I got to give this to God. I'm going to turn for myself, and you turn back to Jesus. Amen? Now, every moment of your day, every, even right now as we speak, God is speaking to you. And so the reality is this. If you're going to bring people to Jesus, the first thing you have to do is realize the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is closer than you could imagine. Uh, we got to get past the point of saying, man, uh, when I pass away, I go to eternity, spend eternity with Jesus. No, your life with Jesus started when you met Jesus, amen, and eternity is right now, amen. It's in this moment. Like, you're, you don't die and go to eternity. You, you're with Jesus right now on mission for him. So we got to get past this whole, like, well, I'll wait till that happens with God. No, we get right now, God is close, God is near, God wants to work inside your heart. And we're in this constant cycle as a follower of Jesus to turn from our own ways and turn to God. Amen? That's called disciple making. 
This is what we do. We just walk away from ourselves. Uh, John, uh, the Baptist said in John 3.30, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. decrease. He must become greater and I must become less. It's kind of like Homer Simpson just kind of fades out, right? (laughs) Shut the bushes. He's gone, right? that's, That's what it is to follow Jesus. It's not making my name great. It's making his name great and just getting out of the way. And God is speaking through this. And so here he is. Jesus says this. Verse 16 says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, this is Simon and Andrew we talked about last week. Remember, Andrew stalked Jesus, and then John was there. And this is the same Andrew. And so they had met Jesus already. Peter had been, Simon had been given a new name. He called Peter the rock. Remember that? New name, new purpose. And then life got hard. John the Baptist got arrested. This is one of their, their, their mentors, their rabbi, their spiritual leader. He's been arrested. He's put in prison. And all of a sudden, they walk away from Jesus. These men are back to business as normal. They're back with their nets. They're back fishing. They're going back to what they once had. I don't know if you've been there before. Uh, there's a season in your life, or maybe you're in that season, where you're passionate about God. Uh, you brought your Bible everywhere. You're praying all the time. Uh, you're at church every Sunday. You're leading for the cause of Christ wherever you're at. And then it got hard. Who knows ministry is hard? Who knows following God is hard? Who, who knows there's a lot of attacks that happen when, when you're following? There's a lot, a lot of wounds that happen in ministry. You ever been stabbed in the back by a friend? You ever been given something to somebody and they didn't even say thanks? Maybe treaded on the gift or abused your grace? And, and as a Christian, it's easy to get offended. It's easy to get wounded. It's easy to get hurt. It's easy to walk away from the things of God. And this is where we find the disciples. The really first thing they did is they met Jesus, they changed their life, and it got hard, and they quit. Now think about John the Baptist, and he has such a good, perfect illustration of what this looks like. I mean, John the Baptist, I don't know if you much about him, but he, he never performed a sign. Like he never did a miracle, he never healed anybody. He, he didn't do anything that made anything about himself. And ultimately, John the Baptist, they asked him, who are you, who are you, who are you? And he proclaimed clearly, he said, I am not the Messiah. You ever been in a season in your life where you're trying to fix yourself? You ever been in a season in your life where you're trying to fix everybody else? You're trying to solve the problem? Try to put all the pieces together so it doesn't fall apart like you're going to be the hero, you're going to be the savior of the day. And here's John the Baptist says, I am not the Messiah. First thing I realize this is that we are not the Messiah, amen? Amen? We don't have it all together. We can't figure it out. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on power, on our own strength, on our own way. And so we just step back and we just give it to God. Verse 17 says this. Jesus sees Andrew and Simon. They're out there fishing. And he says, Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for who? Fish for, yeah, fish for people. Like Jesus gives them an immediate call. He, he sees them kind of doing their own work, doing their thing, and now he gives them a permanent call. This is uh, Andrew and Simon are the first two disciples ever called to follow Jesus. Jesus recognized the potential. He recognized their own own way, and he says, I want you to follow me. And he gives them a, such a clear call. He says, I will make you fishers of people. Isn't it amazing the first thing that Jesus called them to do, really ultimately the overarching thing that they will do their entire lives, was to fish for people? There, there wasn't any other calling. Matter of fact, I think about this. I don't think there's anything greater in your life that you can live for or you can die for than to be a fisher for people. This is exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Matter of fact, the only reason we're left here on this side of eternity is that we can bring people to Jesus. It says, says this in 18, it says, at once, 
Andrew and Simon. They left their nets, left their livelihood, left what was comfortable, what was easy, what was predictable, what they were good at, what they could make money at, and they followed Jesus. Verse 19 says this, and when they had gone a little farther, Jesus, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Now, this is the same John that met Jesus for the first time we talked about last week, right? And 60 years later, he remembers it was 4 p.m. in the afternoon when he first met Jesus. Now, here's, here they are, um, worried and afraid and discouraged, and they're back to business as normal, preparing their nets for another night of fishing. Verse 20 says, and without delay, Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. That poor guy. Come on, somebody, right? See you later. And they and, and the hired men, and they followed him. So we know James and John had some business. It was a family business. They probably owned the boats. They had some amount of wealth and prestige. They're probably known the city. They're probably a lot riding on their shoulders to take over the business. And they left everything, including their father, and they followed Jesus. So the same thing is this. If you're going to bring people to Jesus, you have to recognize your call. You have to be willing to let some things go, to leave some things behind, and even some people behind for your call. Amen, preacher. <laughs> some of you are like, that sounds good. That sounds real good. But God is calling you to go find a fishing hole for people. God's calling you to leave what's comfortable and what's normal. God does not call you to business as normal. You got to look at your day, look at your time, look what you're doing in your life, and ask yourself, what in the world do I need to stop doing for the cause of Christ? Because he's calling you away from some things as a follower of Jesus, to go reach people, to be on mission. And the reality is this, that so many of us are, are so scared of letting go that we hold on to the world so tight there's no room for Jesus. And I want to encourage you today to do something very full of faith and just open your hands and say, yes, Jesus, wherever you call me, I'm willing to go. I'm not saying you're going to be a missionary in Africa, but maybe you will be, amen? Some of y'all done that. And that's where God's calling you. We have to be more of a sending agency than a seating agency. Like we can't just come here and fill chairs. Some of y'all are going to get out of the premortal sludge of sitting and be like, dude, I'm going to go do something for Christ. Amen? Like God's called me across the street. He's called me to bring that person that looks nothing like me to come to my house and hang out and eat at my table, and I get to point them to Jesus. God's just going to use my life how you want to. We sing the song, I'm a vessel. Make me a vessel. Use me how you want to. Man, what a call of surrender. Then God is going to use that today. So these men are called to be fishers for men. I believe that's still the call we have today 2,000 years later. It says in Mark 19, 119, it says, they came to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a city on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a populated city. It's on a thoroughfare. A major highway runs through it. And this is a fishing town. This is all their commerce is around fishing. It says, when the Sabbath came. Now, this, is a, this would have been Saturday, and there's a bunch of rules they couldn't follow. But Jesus, he went into the synagogue, or at that time he called the church, but the synagogue, and began to teach. And the people were what? Help me out. They were... They were amazed at Jesus' teaching. They were dumbfounded. They were awestruck, just like some of you guys are right now. Come on, somebody. Okay, I'm just kidding. You can tell. So the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. He taught them as if he wrote the book. He, he taught them as if he hung the stars. He laid the foundation. He taught them as if he was there. When it was all pinned, he, he taught them for authority because he was the authority. He says, not as a teacher of the law. He, he didn't teach them as somebody that else would have taught in the synagogue that studied the Old Testament or Moses or the regulations or the traditional law. And just then, it says in 23, just then um, there was a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit and cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, isn't it interesting? I found this completely interesting. Jesus' first message, he just said this is what it's all about. The kingdom of God is near. It's his first Saturday. He's teaching in the synagogue. And the very first thing that happens, Jesus preaches, a demon interrupts him. Come on, somebody. I mean, this, this is impressive. I mean, why now? Of all the times, why now would this demon interrupt Jesus? Well, I mean, he could have talked to Jesus any other moment. All of a sudden, the kingdom of God is about to unleash into humanity, and the demons know it. Think what the demon said. He said, are you going to destroy us? He said something to Jesus because he knew the power of God. Amen. He knew that this is a Jesus that framed the earth. This is Jesus that holds all things, control all things. And he had to ask the question, have you come to kill us all? Because I know you can. He also knew who Jesus was. He said, you're the Holy One of God. It's interesting to me as Jesus preached his first message that the first entity to recognize who Jesus was, his power, his strength, and, and, and his nature of being God wasn't his disciples, it was a demon. Think about that. As you step out in your call, you start to follow Christ. Third thing, you're going to bring people to God. You're going to recognize the first person or entity to recognize that you're on mission as a fisherman isn't going to be somebody else. It's going to be a demon. You ever thought about that? You ever thought you're going to follow Christ is going to be easier? Anybody ever thought about that? I mean, a lot, a lot of people do. They're like, man, follow Christ, it shouldn't be hard. Bro, if it gets hard, that means you're doing something because you are taking some spiritual ground from the enemy. Amen? Anybody's truck break down this week, right? Anybody's bills stacking up? It's getting kind of hard? Any demons want to scream out right now in the middle of the message? Right? I mean, this, this is Jesus' opening day. This is launch day for Jesus. There's a demon that wants to shut it down. I'm just telling you, when you start following Christ, expect interruptions. Amen? Expect some obstacles. Expect it not to look anything like you look like, but guess what? God is about to do his best work. Amen? He's going to work through you. Because the Satan knows the power you have within you when you bring somebody to Jesus. Satan knows that you're pushing back the kingdom of hell. He, he knows that you have something more in you than he can stop. You have the power and the presence of God. And this is what Jesus says to him in verse 25. He says, be quiet. In other words, shut up. Amen? Somebody's going to memorize this verse. Don't use it on your parents, right? Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. He said, I don't want to hear your self-defense. I don't want to hear any other words. This is not the right time to talk. This is my kingdom. This is how it's going to go. He says, come out of him. And the emperor's spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? Is this a new teaching with authority? He has, he has given orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And the news about or the news of him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Just one sentence from Jesus cast out a demon. Just one sentence from Jesus set free a man that was demon-possessed. And this is the beginning of Jesus' reputation and renown and fame being spread across the area. Verse 25 says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now think about this. This is incredible. Remember just last week we talked about how Andrew and John were stalking Jesus and they went to his home where he was staying? It's amazing. It didn't take very long for Jesus to end up at their house, did it? You ever, you ever think about that? You started following Jesus in the dark. You don't want everybody else to know that you're following Jesus. It didn't take long before you started telling everybody in your family about Jesus and doing Bible studies at home and started praying at home and started bringing people to God because all of a sudden God is just moving in your life. Doesn't take very long, does it? 
Verse 30 says this, Simon, Simon's mother-in-law, this I know that Peter was married, uh, was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. She began to serve them. Just in the presence of Jesus, she was healed and changed. And that evening after sunset, remember this was a Sabbath day, there's a lot of rules and regulation made by man, and they couldn't work, they couldn't do things. But that night when the sun went down, the Sabbath was over, the people, what they brought to Jesus, all the sick and the demon-possessed. That's impressive. This city is around 15,000 people. And they're all going to Andrew and Simon's house. All these people are like, if I could just get my sick neighbor, if I could get my sick son, if I could get my sick mother-in-law, if I could get my friend down the street, and this demon-possessed person, if I just get them to the presence of Jesus, Jesus can change them. It says, verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. Can you, can you be amazed at that? I mean, that's the way church should be. Come on, somebody, right? Um, the whole town came to be in the presence of Jesus and be healed. It's amazing this fishing town, those fishing for fish, is now a fishing town fishing for people. That's how Jesus changed the city. And Jesus healed many that had various diseases, and he drove out many demons, and he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. I love that. Demon muzzled, or Jesus muzzled the demons. Come on, somebody. Um, he put them in their spot. He bound them tight. He knew they were going to talk smack. He knew they were going to reveal things that shouldn't be revealed, the mystery of God quite yet. And so he just shut them up. Who knows God's in control, amen? That God has a path and a plan and a purpose, and nobody's going to stop that. The demons himself obey Jesus. Verse 35 says this, very early in the morning, while still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and he, he prayed. This is foundational. As a fall of Christ. Here's, here's Jesus. He has this amazing night. Remember, it's after dark. They all went to his house, and he probably spent all night healing people. He just kept coming and coming and coming and casting out demons. And then as the disciples fell asleep, which seems to be a tradition of, of Christians in general. Come on, somebody. Right? You see that with all the disciples of the garden. They didn't change at all. Jesus would just disappear out into the wilderness, into a solitary place, and he would pray. He'd get connected to God. If we're going to make it past the 40-second sprint for the things of Christ, we have to do it through God's power. Amen? I mean, if you want to burn out, don't pray. If, if you want to do it in your manpower, I won't see you here in a month. I won't see you in the things of Christ because you're doing it all on your own strength. And so Jesus models himself just as a son of God, this relationship with his father. And he has to get renewed strength. Think about when he prayed. He didn't pray leading into the event. He didn't pray before he healed 15,000 people. Jesus prayed after. Can I tell you, we probably need more prayer after Easter than into Easter. Amen? Who knows you get wounded when you're in leadership? Or when you, when you go for the cause of Christ and you see things, and who knows that the critics stay a little longer than the people cheering you on? You've been around the blogger time or two, right? And I think you've got to take some of those wounds and some of those things that happen in your life. You've just got to get alone with the Savior and just let him say that you're a child of God, you're a daughter of the King, you're a son of the King, that you're forgiven and chosen and you are enough and I am enough for you and get healed up. Amen? And this is what Jesus models for us. And so if you're going to bring people to Christ, you better be a man or woman of prayer. Verse 39 or 36 says this, Simon's companions went to look for him. 
And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. Where did you go? Matter of fact, this is, or this is Simon Peter's first leadership exercise in the Bible. First time the Bible see him leading anything. And the first thing he did is he woke up late and he couldn't find Jesus. And he's like, oh no, I left everything and I also left Jesus. Like where in the world is he? And so he began to wake everybody up because it's just who Peter is, a big loud mouth. And he shakes everybody out of bed and he says, let's go on a search party for Jesus to find the presence of God. Very first thing that Peter does. It doesn't seem very significant, but it is because he's the one that has his voice spoken up and he wants to bring people back to Jesus. Verse 38 says, Jesus replied to Peter, he said, let us go somewhere else to the nearby village so I can preach there also because this is why I've come. He goes, this city knows about why I'm here. So the time has come, you know, repent, believe. The kingdom of God is near. They know all these things. It's time to go out. It's, it's time to go somewhere else because they know exactly what I'm doing. And so he traveled through Galilee, this upper region of Israel, and began preaching in synagogues and driving out demons. They're probably in the synagogues, let's be real, right? Verse 40 says this, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, filled with compassion, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I am willing, be clean. It's amazing, in just one sentence, this man be cleansed from leprosy being cleansed from the skin disease he has battled his entire life. He said, Jesus sent him away at once with a stern warning, a strong warning. He said, see, you don't tell anyone this, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. What he didn't want to do is let everybody know that he just cleansed his leprosy. He said, go back, follow the Old Testament way of getting cleansed in Leviticus 14 and let it just follow the system so that everybody doesn't know that I just healed a leper. But instead, look what the man does. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. He began spreading the news. He couldn't contain the joy that that man over there, just the next town over, healed my leprosy. As a result, the missus, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, because, but stayed outside in lonely places. Check this out. It says, yet the people what? They still came. They still came to him from everywhere. Get the picture. Jesus, his reputation is growing. He casts out demons. He heals lepers. He, he just touches them and their fever is gone. He casts out demons. He's preaching in the synagogue. He has authority and power. And now he can't even be in the cities. He hides out in the outskirts, in the lonely places, and still everybody from everywhere still is trying to get to the presence of God. Here's the reality. If we're going to bring people to Christ, we have to recognize in ourselves that the most attractional thing, attractive thing we have is the presence of Jesus in our life. That's the most attractional thing. If you think people are coming to this church because I am an amazing speaker, come on somebody, you are wrong. If you think people come to this church because their worship is on fire, which it is, but it's not just that, it's the presence of God, amen? It's attractional. And so as a person, if you're going to witness somebody, you might say, oh, I don't have the right words to say here all the time. I don't know what to say. I'm going, to, I'm going to mess it up. I don't know enough. Well, the reality is you have Jesus. You have the most attractional thing you could ever have. The spirit of God lives in you. Jesus lives in you. And all you have to do is just get out of the way. Like literally, I'm not even going to tell you what you should say. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words. If you want to tell us about Jesus, just walk across the street and start talking and all of a sudden, Jesus is going to come to your conversation. If that's on your heart, it's just going to happen. That's, that's what's going to happen. But it's not about you. Like the neighbor might say, well, I see you over there at that party last week. You're laying in the front lawn, had too much to drink. Don't act like it's not you. Come on, somebody. 
I stare at the sheep long enough to know, right? <laughs> I know. I know. But the reality is this. You could just simply say to people, hey, you know what? I'm so glad that you recognize that because, dude, it's not about me. I've messed up so much. There's some things in my life that look nothing like God. And then you can point to Jesus. Amen? I'm not giving you an excuse to sin, but I'm just telling you, you can have the confidence and the boldness to share Christ because it's not my victory. It was Jesus' victory. That's the story of our lives, that we don't point people to something we did. We point something that was finished for us on the cross, the final permanent victory of our sin, Jesus. And we can boast in our defeat, amen? We can say, hey, I messed up. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry for all the times I blotted out of out, right? And then, but Jesus has changed my life. I'm trying to be like him. Follow the 10% of me looks like Christ, and don't follow the 90% that look like Jesus, amen? Like, keep following Christ together. We're on a journey together. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a voice pointing to Christ. And out of humility and brokenness, and that God will lift you up, lift your voice up, and point people to him. So I don't have all the right words or the right strategy, but I know it just takes you opening your mouth and saying things to Christ. And uh, it's amazing what the opportunities you have in front of you if we would just step into them, right? I mean, I'm just telling you, there's so many conversations that God brings into our life all the time. And I was like, man, that was a great opportunity to, to share Jesus with that person. He talked to him for two hours and didn't say anything. Could have said, man, God's good, didn't he? What do you mean? It's like, oh, just God's been good in my life. Really? Oh, I've been following Jesus my whole life. You're a Christian? Dude, I've been hanging out with you for 20 years. I had no idea you're a Christian. It's incredible. We see this stuff all the time. We should be the kind of people that we know everybody stayed their soul. Amen? Like, yes, yeah, see a sign over their head, right? Like, bound for heaven, bound for hell. You recognize who people are. And that gives you compassion. Because we've messed up, right? I mean, we can't live this offended Christian life with everybody else, right? Like, we, we, we've offended Jesus, but Jesus died for us. And so we patiently endure, right? Those around us, because there's people that, that you don't like. Come on, somebody, right? And they need Jesus. And we get to play a part of the radical transformation. And guess what? He will. He will. He'll surprise you. And so the reality is this. We need to recognize that we have to have the presence of God in our life. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you got you to come to statement. And it's really simple. Just stop making it about you. Just stop making it about you. You know, th that's the plight of every leader. Uh, anybody who's ever spoken or shared or led something, you always look back and go, oh, I wish I would have. Oh, I didn't say that right. Or, oh, man, I laid an egg, right? And, you know, I get, I get the privilege of doing this every week, right? And I know when it's good, right? I strut out. Yeah. You know, I drive slow through the parking lot, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, when it goes bad, you roll the window up. You, you're a little faster, right? But, but in, the, in the end of the day, I'll, I walk on the stage, and there's this word consecrate. I just give it to God. I say, God, just use that. Like in my own weakness, you're made strong. Like I did the best I could, and I'm just going to leave the rest to you, Jesus. Like I can't wander around life going, oh, was it good enough? Was it this enough? It's like, no, God, you've got this, amen? I, I trust you with this. And so I don't live in fear or in boasting or insecurity or in weakness. It's like, hey, no, God, you do what you do, and all do I do, the best I can do, and I'll lay it out in line for you, and I'm just going to wait for you to move. And that's the fun we get to have every single week, every single day, really, when we talk about Jesus. Because you never feel like you did a good job, amen? Man, look at me. I led that guy to Christ. It's like, how'd that happen? And that's, I had to talk to the guy this morning, led him to Christ this week. And he's like, I had no idea how that happened, right? And we were talking about fireworks, and then we talked about dying from fireworks, and then we talked about what happened when we died, and then we talked about Jesus, and then we got saved. But it's just on his heart, and God brought it around, amen? 
gasoline the match, Jesus, I don't know, all came together. It just, just worked out. But Mark chapter 2 says this, and this is about how much passion we should have to share Jesus. Nothing's going to stop us from doing this, but it says in chapter 2, verse 1, it says a few days later, remember Jesus is extremely popular at the time, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. Remember he's been gone weeks in all these villages, he's been in the outskirts in the darkness, now he's back in the city. It's, it's going to get crazy. Everybody knows he's the healer, that he can change lives. The people heard that he come home, back to this probably Peter and Andrew's home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there's no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. There's a group of men, and there's four of them in the middle. They're all struggling to bring this paralyzed man into the presence of Jesus. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, there's so many people, like sardines, packed around the door, around the home. I mean, last time there's 15,000. How many people do you think are here now? They can't get to the presence of Jesus. It says these men, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat the man was laying on into the presence of Jesus. Now, I want you to bit your head in the mindset of these four people. That's why I read all the scripture up to this point, because this was going on in their heads. Like, man, I've heard about this guy, Jesus. He heals lepers. He, he forgives sins. This boy casts out a demon. Man, I can't wait to go to church today. Boy's gonna cast out a demon at church. Like, this is a preacher with authority. And on the road there, they see this paralyzed man. This man, if they don't stop and help, will not get to the presence of Jesus. And I don't know how it broke down, but one of those men said, you know what we should do? Just everybody get a corner, and we're gonna carry this man to Jesus. I don't know if it's four miles or 400 meters, how far they carried him to the presence of God, but whatever obstacles were in the way, it didn't matter. It didn't matter, they looked like fools, amen. Didn't have the proper equipment to carry somebody on a mat. It looked like idiots, a lot of people have passed this person by unwilling to carry them themselves, but they were willing to do it. They show up to this house that's so full of people that they can't get to Jesus. They can't wedge their way through the crowd, even though they got a paralyzed man, nobody's willing to open the door or a pathway to Jesus. And so these blue-collar men, this I know blue-collar, right? Somebody decided, had the audacity, the courage, the gut, the grit, the faith. There's a lot of words I can put in there I was thinking of, but I can't say. To get on the roof and just tear it off to get to the presence of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the boldness that you interrupt the message of Jesus while he's preaching? Stomp on the roof, tearing back all the sticks and this compacted clay, which was hard. It's like a rock. And they start beating it and pounding with their hands. And all this piece of dirt would be thrown down on the people in the, in the house. And Jesus would have paused this message by this point because it's obviously so distracting. And he would have said, this is about to be the greatest illustration of message of all time and just wait for this person to pop his head through and there was some dude, what's up everybody, right? Some dude proud that he made a hole in the roof and they start beating more and more of the roof apart until they got a hole big enough to lower an entire man. So six foot, eight foot long, two foot wide, whatever the, and, and they, they put these ropes on the mat and they lowered him into the presence of Jesus. Dude, that's grit, that's passion. These people are full of faith. They didn't care what Jesus was saying. They didn't care they're interrupting the message. They just knew if I just get this man into just one sentence with the Savior, everything's about to change for him. Verse 5 says this, when Jesus saw their faith, not just the paralyzed man's faith, 
But we saw their faith. Their faith. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't it incredible? This is the first time in the New Testament you see Jesus forgiving sins. This was a new thing. He'd cast out demons, he'd heal people. But this time he said, your sins are forgiven. That he made him whole. Do you realize this paralyzed man, he would thought he was paralyzed because he did something wrong? Like he thought his sin caused him to be a quadriplegic or to be paralyzed. He thought he deserved this. Like he earned this. His life was so miserable. This is my penance. This is what I deserve. And so Jesus knew, like I'm gonna tell this boy he's made whole today, amen? He forgave him. Now think about that story of faith of the others with him that made him whole. I mean, could it possibly be that the faith of Dennis healed his granddaughter? Could it possibly be that he begged God for his life and he would follow him? That God just maybe struck a little bit of a deal because he had the faith that God could do it. Now, God doesn't always work that way. And I'm not saying it, oftentimes like healing and miracles happen on the other side of eternity. But the reality is we play a part of the story more than we think. There's so many times in the Bible, it's like, I can't get cast out this demon, I can't do this. He goes, well, some things only come through prayer and fasting. It's the presence of God. Like, do you want to see this change? So maybe Dennis activated the Holy Spirit's power of healing. It says this in verse six, he says, now some teacher of the law were sitting there thinking themselves. I love that Jesus reads people's minds. He says, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming, slandering God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right question, didn't like the answer, right? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, I'm sure by complete and utter surprise. And Jesus said, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Which one do you think is easier? So Jesus, he says this, but I want you to know today that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. If this boy picks up his mat and he walks out of this room, then you have no doubt in your mind that I'm the son of God and I forgave his sins, amen? There'd be no doubt in your mind. I mean, it's so much easier obviously to have somebody healed than forgive sins. What a trick question, right? And so Jesus, he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And this boy got up, took his mat, and I love it. He strutted across the room in front of everybody, amen? I mean, he would have been like, yeah, I was healed today. All y'all didn't make room for me. Watch me walk out of here. Make way, I'm going home. In that moment, everybody realized that this truly is the son of man. Is the son of God. This is the one coming. Son of man comes from Daniel chapter seven. It's a reference to the, to the Messiah to come. And so he says the son of man, he's referring to something everybody would know in this passage. It says this, this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And can I tell you today in 2023, 2000 years later, that you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Do you think God still wants to move today? There's people that need to be healed today. There's people that need the, the stone and the weight of shame rolled off their life today. 
that, that there's people that need to get to heaven today. There's some people that are walk, that we walk by all the time that we just stop and just have a heart-to-heart conversation and carry them to Jesus. That we could just share the good news of Christ. That we should be okay with being interrupted in a line at Target. Come on, somebody. Right? We should just move aside and make room. Just plan on two hours a day that you're going to invest in the kingdom of God by being interrupted with the people that come to you. And at the end of the day, you can find like a spot in your life, an isolated way, and you can pray to God and say, thank you, Jesus, for the work you're doing. God, restore me and give me strength for tomorrow because there's somebody that's going to be on a mat that didn't get to Jesus. Now I'll rip the roof off this place if I have to. And so this week, I just got to know who's on your heart that needs to get to Jesus. Who's not going to get there without you saying something? I'm going to tell you something. I'm not showing up to your house. Come on, somebody. You think I'm showing up this week at your house? No. And nobody else is going to be. You are there, amen? God gave a witness to your home. And God gave a witness to your block. And gave a witness to the city. That's us. And so we're called. Who has God put in your heart to bring to Jesus? If you can't think of somebody, you just pray and ask. And God's going to give you somebody before you hit the parking lot of the restaurant you go to. There'll be somebody to tell about Jesus. The second thing is this. How far are you willing to go? How hard are you willing to go after to bring somebody to Jesus? How far are you willing to carry? How far are you willing to pray? How, 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 how audacious is your faith, right? Like, like How bold is your faith? I hope next week that this, pack, this place is so packed out that one of y'all are going to get on the roof and you start tearing a hole through here. We're going to get a bill. Come on, somebody. Right? But some of y'all are going to do that. And that's, that's what you have to do for the cause of Christ. Like, there's nothing greater. You need one thing greater in your life that you should live for. And I'll gladly hand this pulpit to somebody else. And I'll go do something else. But there's nothing greater in your life than the calling to be a fisher of men. Are you guys ready to tear the roof off this place? Come on. Father God, we come before you. God, I ask that our church would be the church, uh, just the people of God humbly out of the way. And we're not qualified, we're not good enough, but God, you are. And so God, we ask you to move through us, God, through the mouthpiece, through the voice that points and just brings people, God, to you and that you do the work. I'll pray for our church today, those of you who say, you know what, I've been about business as usual. I've been going through the motions. I've been going back to my nets. I've been going back to my business. I've, all my heart and stock, my fear is all about the things of this world. And I'm so full of the world, I hardly have room for Jesus. But today I recognize I'll be a fisher for men. There's some things that I leave behind, some relationships I leave behind the day I'm moving forward to things of Christ. If that's you today and you feel God's calling you, He's put a person on your life, you're willing to, to, to step up with passion to reach people. If that's the call you feel from God today, we just lift your hand high in this place and say, that's me. Come on, see your hands across the room all across the room. Father, thank you so much for moving, for speaking today through your word. God, I pray you give boldness to those you're speaking to. God, you give courage. Remind them that when the first people in life they're gonna recognize this call isn't gonna be somebody that's gonna be friendly. Remind them to give them strength and courage that they push and take ground from the enemy. And when it gets difficult, just let them know, remind them that that's because this is a spiritual battlefield, not a playground. So God, help us to pursue and see people change and save for you. I'll pray for one group of people in the house, and that's those of you who may feel like the, the paralyzed man, may feel like your sins have held you back, that maybe you're at today because you've done things wrong in your life, that you've, you've been all about maybe trying to earn your way back, maybe you feel defeated or overwhelmed, and you've just held back by your mistakes, and you don't think there's any room for grace, but the day you recognize that Jesus has the authority to forgive you and forgive sin in your life, you just need Jesus. 
And so today, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that he calls the name of the Lord to be saved, forgiven, and made new. And so if you need Jesus today, if that's you, then I'd be looking around. You should lift your hand high and say, I need Jesus today. I need Jesus to change my life. I see your hand, young man. I see your hand. Maybe I'll say, I need Jesus today. And God's moving across this room. If that's you, I'm leading a prayer, and this prayer doesn't save you. But it's just your heart towards God. It's a heart of surrender. Say, Father God, thanks so much for sending Jesus to come and tell the world about himself. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. God made so many mistakes in my life. God, I can't add them up. But today, you can speak a word in my life. God, you've forgiven me. My sins are forgiven. I'm made whole. Today, I can stand up into the calling of God, and I can walk out of this place. The mission to reach people because you are with me. You've forgiven me. You've made me whole. So, God, I just give you the glory and I give you the praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Come on, give up to Jesus. Give it up to God. Well, hey, if you raised your hand, if you prayed that prayer today, we are just so excited for you. We just want to say congratulations and give you a couple next steps you can take right now. So as Brandon showed us earlier this morning, everyone's got one of these communication cards on their chair. And on there, you're going to see a box that says, I committed my life to Jesus. So if that was you today, I want you to check that box. I want you to put in your information because we want to mail you a free resource this week. We're going to mail you a book. It's called Begin. And it's real short. It's only about 100 pages long, but it's going to be an awesome launch point for you as you take this next step on your journey with Jesus. We'd love to bless you with that this week. And another thing you can do on your way out the door, you'll see a table in the back with some red bags. Grab one of those. In in there's a Bible, and you can just dive into God's Word uh, as this afternoon and just see what He has for you today. And uh, there's also more resources in there. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I thought Sean just preached down the house today. God's using him in a mighty way as he, yeah, that's right. Give it up for God and Sean just being able to be used by God. And he really just encouraged us to be passionate this week about bringing people. And I love that line, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you're anything like me, I had my fingers and toes crossed that Sean was going to give us a baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet. Maybe if we ask him in the hub, he can bless us with that. But uh, but for real, guys, next week is the week, right? It's Easter Sunday, probably the one of the best Sundays of the entire year to bring bring someone. We want to make it as easy as possible for you. So also on your chair, you'll see some invite cards. You can just pass out to anybody, you know, the drive-through, neighbors, co-workers, family, friends. Just let them know we're here. Let them know we're praying for them and we're excited to see them. And just, I just hope you'll be praying for Easter next week. We are excited to offer three gathering times. So if you're a creature habit like like myself, you might need to change your alarm in your phone this week because next week we're going to meet at 830, 10, and 1130. So make sure you're prepared for that. And one other thing we want to ask you to do is we want to ask you to scan this QR code up here on the screen behind me if you haven't yet. And just let us know what gathering you plan on coming to. That's going to let us really be prepared to make room here in the gathering space and also 
I'm back in kids. So we're going to tear the roof off next week. We're going to have so much fun in here. But man, your kids are going to have a powerful morning as well. Each one of those gatherings, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. There's going to be eggs with toys in them and goodie bags. Your kids are actually going home this week with invite cards of their own. And they're going to get a special prize uh, if they bring someone next week. So just encourage the kids to, you know, we just want to bless uh, everyone in Cass County that wants to come through our doors next week. Really want to make it a big week. So those cards, like I talked about, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and social media of your choice and share those events. And when you let us know which gathering you're coming to, there'll be a link for the Eventbrite. And there's a, even a way for you to share that as well to make it super easy for someone. So easy is the name of the game, just something super practical that you, we can make this place comfortable, warm, and inviting for everyone that's important to you that you want to bring next week. Well, guys, I want to walk you through a couple more things you could do on this communication card. You see, there's some other boxes that you can check. Feel free to check as many as you'd like, by the way. Um, maybe you've been, uh, maybe you made a decision today or since we've last done baptisms and you're ready to make that bold statement of faith. We are doing baptisms next week. And if you are interested in doing that, it is not too late. Go ahead and check off that box and, and, uh, put your information on here. Maybe you've been thinking, you know, I don't know if I have the time or if this is the right season to be like fully on the dream team yet, but but you can just give God a Sunday. Again, the, the name of the game, you know, like Sean said, you know, we, may we be so packed out that we have to drill a hole in the roof, right? Maybe you can give some of your Sunday morning next week to just help out uh, by serving for one week only. There's a box on here for that, but maybe you're ready to put some roots down and join the dream team and actually discover your purpose. We have a crash course coming up and there's a box for that as well. So wherever you are uh, at this moment in this season, there's a box for it. We would love to hear from you this week. Now you may be wondering, Drew, where do I put these cards? Well, our wonderful ushers are going to be coming down in a moment and they're going to be passing the giving buckets and you can just throw that card right there in the bucket as it passes. Speaking of the buckets, guys, your generosity is making a huge difference at Real Life Church. It's because of your generosity that we get to celebrate big next week as 15 people as of this moment are signed up for baptisms. Are you guys excited for baptisms for Easter Sunday? Man, I tell you what. Well, the cool thing is, is we've got so much more room for so many more people. I cannot stress this enough. It is not too late to make that bold statement of faith with baptisms. If that's you, check the box and let us know. If you're brand new with us this week, again, I say welcome. We're honored you're here, and I just want to let you know that we don't want anything from you this morning. This gathering was our gift to you, and we just hope you had a great time here with us. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. But if you do call Real Life Home, here's three ways that you can give. We have reallifechurchkc.com. You can text any amount to 84321, or you can drop cash or envelopes in the giving box in the back or in these buckets as they pass by. If you find yourself in immediate need today of food or clothing or shelter, we just invite you to reach in and grab any loose cash you see to take care of those immediate needs. As the buckets pass, will you check out this video? Hey guys. Hey, I want to personally invite you out to Easter at Real Life Church on Sunday, April 9th. Man, we're going to have an incredible Sunday. It's going to be so much fun for you and your family. And God's greatest desire is for you to find real life and purpose in Jesus. 
This is why Jesus rolled the stone away on Easter Sunday. So you have new life and purpose in Him. So I invite you and your entire family to check out Real Life Church on Easter Sunday. That's right. We are going to have gatherings with incredible worship and songs that bring hope. We are going to have inspiring words straight from the Bible, and we have something extra special for your kiddos. During each one of our gathering times, we are going to have an outdoor Easter egg hunt. Your kids are going to be able to hunt for prize-filled eggs. We're going to send each kid home with a goodie bag and special gift for our first-time guests and visitors that Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. So I invite you to bring your entire family. We have multiple gathering options on April 9th. I can't wait to meet you guys and see you guys here at Real Life Church on Easter Sunday. See you then. See you. All right. Uh, times are up there on the screen. 8 o'clock, 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. Cannot screw that up. Uh, we'll see you next week. Easter Sunday, we will be starting a brand new series, The Songs That Bring Hope, where we find out the hope that Jesus offers us every single day. So as you all remember, uh, whoever finds Jesus discovers real life and purpose. Have a great Easter week, guys.